Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from ToLoveHonorAndVacuum.com, where we like to talk about healthy, evidence-based, biblical advice for your marriage and sex life. And I am joined by my daughter, Rebecca. Hello. Who is the first time out of the house since giving birth. Other than my one appointment. For Yay. me and my, my daughter. Yeah. Yay. So she is here at my house. My daughter is napping at home. <laughs> she is away from her baby for, for the, the first, first time. <laughs> yes. Three-week-old baby. Four week old almost, yeah. Yeah, so yay. yay. She's adorable. She's perfect. Yes. Okay. So speaking of babies, mm-hmm. it's Christmas this month. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we think about a very important little baby. Yes. And so I thought that since December was Christmas, one of the things that I want to talk about that I think kind of connects Christmas with the ministry that I do is the concept of embodiment. Mm-hmm, the incarnation of Christ. The incarnation of Christ, how God took on human form and how our bodies are actually important. Yes. And I don't, this is, don't worry, this is not going to be a weight loss podcast. No, <laughs> no. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just, I just mean that Christ, what, what di- often differentiates Christianity from other religions, and there's many things that differentiate yes. Christianity, but one of the things is that the body has an importance. Mm-hmm. It's not that the soul matters and the spirit matters and the body is just totally irrelevant and totally a bother. It's that yeah. the body is actually important. The body is so important that our God <laughs> took on bodily form. Mm-hmm. And when he resurrected, he resurrected in bodily form. And we are going to have bodies <laughs> in the new creation. Like our bodies are eternal, not this particular body, but we will have eternal bodies. Yeah, like we don't have a Gnostic Stoic faith, isn't that yeah. what we're saying, mm-hmm. right? Is the, the physical is not a bad thing. The physical is actually yet another way for us to experience God. Mm-hmm. Like, like it says in the Psalms, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? Mm-hmm. Not deprive yourself of good food so that you don't get distracted by physical things so that you remember that God is the one that is good and he is not physical. That's not how the verse goes. No. Right? It's like, <laughs> taste and see the Lord is good. Happy those take refuge in him. Right? It's like, we, yeah. we, God has created the world in a way and has created our bodies and, and the fact that we are sensual beings to also point us back to him. That's why things like, you know, art and, mm-hmm. you know, many um, denominations and traditions of Christianity use things like incense and... Those kinds of things to kind of point people back to the holy and the divine. Yeah, and and often we forget how much of Jesus's life and miracles were spent on physical things. Mm-hmm. Like we think that Jesus came to earth merely to teach us in the brain department, right? Yeah. Or you know to save our souls, which is yeah, he did. <laughs> but but one of the things, one of the ways that he showed who he was, and by who he was, I don't just mean that he was God, but also that he was compassion, mm-hmm. that that he cared, was how many miracles have to do with our bodies, mm-hmm. healing people, raising people from the dead, feeding people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he cares when we're hungry. He cares when we're cold. And when it comes to the whole your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. When you look at Jesus' example, a lot of that is writing the physical issues in our world, right? It's feeding the hungry. It's clothing the naked. It's, mm-hmm. you know, giving people water when they're thirsty. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's as part of what it means to live out the gospel of like your kingdom come, your will be done. Yeah. The physical matters. And one of the problems that we often have in marriage is that 
we discount the physical or we don't understand how to incorporate the physical and the emotional and how do they all go together because they seem so separate because we often do see them as very separate things. So it's like, how do we join them? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because we were created to experience the most intimate emotional thing actually physically with our bodies. That's what sex is, <laughs> is it's this intimate joining, but you experience it through your bodies, not just through your mind, not just through your heart, but through your actual body. And so the embodiment is God taking on human form. And what I want to talk about this month in the, on the podcast and on the blog is how that impacts our sex life and how we can learn to embrace our bodies not in a body image way, because yeah. that's not really what we're going for, but rather instead how to learn to be mindful and pay attention to our bodies and honor our bodies. Yeah, because for a lot of people that's going to be reclaiming that ability because of a lot of the teachings that we hear mm-hmm. growing up, you learn to differentiate your soul from your body. Yes. That's what we heard mm-hmm. so many times from women in focus groups, especially where they said that, you know, when they were growing up or dating, like anything in their body felt bad. Mm-hmm. And that was really hard because then you can't enjoy bodily things. Yeah, and think about how how much of our bodies cause shame, right? Like, you're never supposed to let anyone know you're having your period. (laughs) Because that would be highly embarrassing. Or that you have curves. Or that you have curves, or anything like that. Like we have to pretend that nothing bodily is ever bothering us. You mm-hmm. have to pretend you didn't fart. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know? we can't we can't ever have bodily functions of any sort because those are somehow bad. And well, you know, I don't really appreciate loud farts in public. Yeah, we're like, not necessarily <laughs> saying if you want a great sex life, fart more in front of each other. No. That's not what we're saying. <laughs> but but people fart. You know, Alex has a book. My grandson has a book called Everybody Farts. It's yep. wonderful. Um, <laughs> And so how do we learn to incorporate our bodies and embrace our bodies, especially when we've learned so much shame? And again, we're not getting into weight loss this month. I've written about being healthy on the blog before. I do believe in a healthy lifestyle, but that's really not where we're going. So no, no one, no one panic about that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> However, now, before we get into some other aspects of mindfulness, incorporating with our bodies, understanding the mind-body connection. I do want to address something that has come up since you gave birth. Yes. <laughs> and I have to admit, we kind of chuckled at this one, but um, Tammy, who is my wonderful uh, manager who goes through all my emails and figures out my scheduling and stuff, she told me in passing last week that we had a, quite a number of emails that came in that she never put through to my inbox because she didn't want me to see them. Expressing dismay that Rebecca had had a C-section rather than a natural birth. And, and I that spoke she positively was, and about that it. And she spoke positively about this. Yes. Um, I just, okay, I'm going to speak to this one. Yes. I want to, I want to, first of all, comfort the people who are dismayed by the fact that I had a C-section to say I did have a natural birth for my first child. Mm-hmm. It was unwanted. Yes. Um, I did not want a natural birth. I wanted the epidural. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. But I did unfortunately have an unplanned, non-medicated birth for my first. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do know what a natural birth is like. Yeah. Um, it's also why I got the epidural the second time. Yeah. I just want to say the fact that people are mad that I had a life saving C-section mm-hmm. and I spoke positively about that mm-hmm. is quite, I mean, that's just a problem. I'm just going <laughs> to, that's just a problem. So if, for people who don't understand, my daughter's heart rate was yeah. not doing good. 
No, it was it was very bad. People, doctors were not looking happy, and no. blood was where it was not supposed to yes, be. Yes, my I was had tons of blood in my urine, um, and I actually had a uterine rupture. Yes. Um, and so for anyone who um, knows anything about natural deliveries, mm-hmm. if I had not had access to a C-section, I would have died. And the baby would and, have died. And, and the baby would have died as well, actually. So Yeah, and Connor would have been a single father yeah, to um, Alex. Alex, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so this is, we, it is fine to enjoy, like to have had positive experiences yourself, mm-hmm. but a hundred years ago, I would be dead. Yes. And my baby would be dead. And so if you had an experience where you didn't have a life-threatening delivery, mm-hmm. where you and your child were never going to not exist anymore without mm-hmm. medical intervention, yeah. maybe you just be really grateful that you got to have the natural birth you wanted. And yeah. then you just kind of let people who would have died otherwise also be really, really thrilled that they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so just, just saying, yeah. if you expect us to kind of not be thrilled with the c-section um i loved it i will be very vocal about that because so many women i know have had have had to have emergency c-sections and we're super traumatized by it because no one talks about it yeah because it's just only ever a traumatic experience i'm like hey here's here's my experience it doesn't have to be and i have to tell you like we were not scared to see my husband's a pediatrician our entire life has been uh, you know, Pedro goes off. Oh, I'll be back in 20 minutes. There's a going? C-section. Oh, there's just a C-section. <laughs> it's like, okay, we'll see. And then he comes back. How was the baby? Fine. It was fine. Was it a girl or a boy? Uh, yes. The Apgar score was nine. Like, the Apgar <laughs> score, it was, a, it was a nine on the Apgar. He, he wouldn't actually ever say that. I'm just making a joke. But like, like we, we grew up, or you guys grew up where C-sections were not a big deal. No. My baby was sunny side up, back to back, and I was much more scared of a four-step delivery because I had a previous tear. Mm-hmm. So when they said we're going for C-section, I actually got a, quite a bit relieved. Yeah. Because I, I knew what would happen if I had another tear. Yeah. yeah. You got relieved. The rest of us weren't relieved because we were seeing the monitors and we were seeing the blood, but you were like... Yes. <laughs> I saw the blood too, but I was just... Yeah. I will admit... Okay. And this might seem a little bit harsh, but but... Whenever people get mad because I had a life-threatening delivery that was saved by a C-section, mm-hmm. um, it I does feel a little bit like that Brooklyn Nine-Nine Jake Peralta line. It was like, it's okay, guys. The bleeding's all internal. That's where the blood is supposed to be. <laughs> it's like, no. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes things need medical intervention. Yeah. And that's a good blessing mm-hmm. from God that we have access to that. Okay? Yes. Again. If you want to do something different and it works out for you, good for you. I'm just really, really glad that I didn't have to die because my uterine tore. Yep. Uterus tore. And I'm very glad of that too. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So (laughs) to to lead into that, the reason we wanted to talk about that with this whole embodiment thing too is that we talk about things with our friends and within our communities that we have not often taken the time to actually consider from the other perspective. Mm -hmm. Right? So for instance, you know, with my C-section thing. Right. I didn't say no one should have a natural delivery. Yeah. I didn't say natural deliveries are terrible. I just said, hey, this was great, <laughs> you know? And compared to my last recovery, this has been awesome. Yeah. Because I'm sorry, compared to my last recovery, anything would be awesome. Yeah. And so when we're talking about stuff with our bodies, a lot of the reason that we often go into this not having information is because we don't actually talk about it in a healthy way or mm-hmm. a helpful way, right? And it's not yeah. just delivery and labor and stuff like that like there's there's other things too but especially when it comes to the way that female bodies work we don't talk about it in public very much and so all you really have to go to 
is your own perspective. Mm -hmm. And so I know this is something that I had to learn as a mom um, because Rebecca, if I can share, I'm going to share it. Oh gosh. <laughs> but I showed were, my postpartum pads on camera. Yes, we're fine. But you know, <laughs> you had really bad cramps as a teenager. Oh yeah. And for the first, and I had, I had cramps too. And so when you would get really crampy and, in pain, I pictured myself mm -hmm. at that age, and I kind of thought that you were overreacting. Overreacting. It's like, well, you know, you're a girl. You just kind of have to deal with it. Yeah. It's just, it's not going to go away. Yeah. Like, and then one month, I vomited four times, and then passed out. And I'm like, I never did that. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this might be something different. Yeah. And you found me passed out on the bathroom floor. Yeah. And you know, we took you to a doctor and dealt with it. Um, and you yeah. were 50, so it's not like this went on for years and years and years. But no, but like that was something where <laughs> I needed to wake up as a mother. And I've heard so many women say that, that my mom didn't realize how much I was hurting. Mm -hmm. And sometimes doctors don't realize how oh, much gosh. you're hurting. And a lot of a lot of research has actually shown that female doctors aren't always better at this. No. My, my husband had a uh, colleague in med school who went into gynecology and he gave everyone massive painkillers for cramps because he's like, I don't know what they feel like. The way these women are describing it, it's terrible. <laughs> and so like not not like oxycodone or something, but, but like he he like took it all really seriously. Whereas a lot of his female colleagues didn't because they just dealt with it because they had to and theirs weren't that bad. Um, and most medical residents work until nine months like until yeah. like they do call all night i don't honestly know physically how they do it yeah i really don't but but that's one of the reasons and if you look at the medical journals it shows that like female doctors in many cases are better but they're not always yeah <laughs> and in fact it you know, if female doctors haven't been through what you've been through, they often assume, well, you're, you know, you're exaggerating or whatever. Mm -hmm. And some of the worst things I've heard this about is vaginismus. Yeah. Which is why if you do have any issues that you're seeing a doctor about, like it's like you can advocate for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Like if they're not taking you seriously, if you're saying, no, this is not normal. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh no, everybody goes through this. Just take mm -hmm. it. It's like, well, you could say, uh, I don't well, know. For example, <laughs> I, I went to multiple gynecologists in Ottawa because of my pain. Mm -hmm. And uh, the only thing they would ever tell me is just get an IUD or go on hormonal birth control, neither of which I was willing to do. And no one did anything. And then when I was finally pregnant and I started getting ultrasounds, yeah. what do you know? <laughs> they found the problems. Yeah. Like, you but, but I took me, I was, I was seeing people for two and a half years and no one referred me to a mm -hmm. single ultrasound clinic. Mm -hmm. So, and I, and I wish that I had known that cause I would have just pushed to get an ultrasound and it would have been yeah. a very easy fix actually. Yeah. So. Yep. And we had, I had, I had, uh, one of our friends had a teenage daughter who had horrible, horrible, um, ovarian cysts mm -hmm. at the age of 16 and she yep. had to have them removed. Mm -hmm. But again, mom advocated for the daughter and daughter got them removed. Exactly. So, you know, if you're, if your daughter is in a lot of pain more than you were, it, it might not be that, that she just is a wimp. Like yes. she might honestly be in yeah, more and, pain. And, and I want to be clear, like I had it really bad and like, I don't even actually have a diagnosable anything. Like I don't have endometriosis yeah. or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And so like, like there are women who have legitimate gynecological, like yeah. dis like not, what's the word? It's not a disorder, like diagnoses yeah. potentially. Anyway, um, where like it's real painful and it's real bad. And so like when we just talk about it all, like, well, this is just what women go through and we're just kind of hush hush about mm -hmm. it. Or like we look at our own experience and we say, well, I can handle this. And so you mm -hmm. should be handling this. Or I had this kind of experience. And so therefore all other experiences are bad. Yeah. It's like, well, no. 
Yeah. You have to recognize that we are all one data point. Yes. In the world. I actually like to say, and I think I said this, I don't know if I said this on the Bare Marriage podcast or the one for our Patreons. The Unfiltered. Patrons, yes. The Unfiltered podcast. Hey, let, but that's a good time to do a plug. for. We do have a patron group. So if you want to support us for as little as $5 a month. And I will <laughs> say, yeah. So we have a patron group. You can support us for as little as you want down to like, yeah, I think it's three or $5 I think it's three. Month. You just don't get it's, any perks for $3. It's hard. It's hard because it's all in Canadian versus American too. So it changes based on which nationality <laughs> currency you're in. But anyway, there's two po- um, uh, podcasts every month. There wasn't this month, so I was on mad leave. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Um, but I have extras for December. Um, and then there are a bunch of, like, we do live events. We do, we have a really active Facebook group, all that. In essence, you just get to kind of hang out with us yeah. online. And, but, and, it, and the money does not go to support me. It goes to support Rebecca and Joanna as write peer-reviewed papers, get any new social media channels, etc. Which I'm just desperately trying to do. It's hard to yeah. do with little babies. But um, what I will say is I am caring less and less with more and more tiredness that I'm getting <laughs> with the newborn. So it might start to get real entertaining real soon. But yeah. <laughs> I think I said at one point, I don't remember which podcast was on, that I, the, me and Connor, our um, parenting philosophy is our son is a statistic. Yeah. Right? So everyone says, you're not a statistic. And that can be really, really great in some places. But my kid is a statistic. So which <laughs> means if statistically I shouldn't be worried, I'm not going to worry. Mm-hmm. But it also means that my child is not unique yeah. in, in, in many things, right? Oh, mm-hmm. so he is having this particular thing happen. Okay, I probably need to deal with that because most of the time, if mm-hmm. X happens, Y happens down the road, mm-hmm. right? So my child is a statistic. I'm going to treat him like the most likely option. Mm-hmm. We often look at ourselves and we don't think that we're a statistic. We think that we're the exception. This mm-hmm. is why when you ask a room of people how attractive they think they are, the room's average goes up to 6.7, where <laughs> it should be five, Yes. right? Because we all think <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're not very good at self-analyzing, right? Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to things, like what our experience was you have to remember you are a data point you are not the data set yes right so I had this kind of delivery and it was great and so everyone should have this kind of delivery or it only took me four weeks to recover and then sex was back to normal yep so you really should you know I didn't find birth traumatizing and so you need to recognize that it's a beautiful natural thing mm-hmm. you know it's like no no you are a data point. I didn't experience postpartum depression so you just need to get over it you just need to think about the positives yes more. Mm-hmm. it's like yeah exactly like there's there's all these things you are a point on the data set you are mm-hmm. not the data set And I think that's been really helpful for for me as I'm working through a lot of stuff with my job too. Because when we were writing the orgasm course, for instance, like I just looked at all the research. Yeah, we were really scared we were going to base it on ourselves. No, we were like terrified. We were like, no, no. Here's the course on how Sheila reaches orgasm. No, we're not doing that. Nope. 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 I made Rebecca read like all the peer reviews. No, you didn't make me. I was like, no, no, we are not talking about anything until I have presented us with a review of the peer reviewed literature so that we don't inadvertently talk about anything personal. Yes. Um, But I think that's that's just the point is like when we're talking about our experiences with our bodies with things that have gone through we need to see ourselves as one data point not the entire data set and so just yeah and and i think that's true especially as to get back to um vaginismus Mm -hmm. is you know people will i i know as a young bride when i had vaginismus and i came back from my honeymoon it had been so painful and i tried to talk to a couple of friends who were already married and they all said, oh, yeah, the pain goes away. It's not a big deal. And, and it's like, yeah, but it was a big deal for me. Mm-hmm. And people really blew me off. Now, we were young. It was the early 90s. I'm not upset at them or anything like that. I, no. I didn't know who to ask at the time. Um, and it eventually 
worked its way out, whatever. Now I say, please see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. Yeah, and it shouldn't hurt. <laughs> it shouldn't hurt. Even and, the first time. And please see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. And in the upcoming books, The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, totally revamped, and The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex, both coming out in March, um, we have in the appendix uh, chapters on the honeymoon and how to how to approach the honeymoon so that it is less likely <laughs> that yes. these things will happen. Um, but, you know... We often don't talk about sexual pain and we assume that because we may have had some, a little bit of discomfort and then we got over it, that everybody will. Yes. Um, or like you had a bit of discomfort because you weren't really aroused, but mm-hmm. like, meh, second time was great. You just need lubricant and you'll be fine. Yeah. And that may be true for most, but it isn't true for all. Yeah. And if you're someone who is experiencing pain and you've you've never heard of anybody else going through this, which is true. Most people who experience vaginismus have never heard of anybody else going through it, yeah. even though it's we found that 22.6% of women reported experiencing it, 7% to the point that penetration is impossible, and yet we never talk about it. Yeah, which is one of the things we're trying to change. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think normalizing talking about this stuff, and if someone ever comes to you and says... You know, I have horrible cramps during my period. Instead of blowing them off, say, I have cramps too, and this is what I experience. Is that what you're talking Mm -hmm. about? Or are you talking about something different? (laughs) Or if someone comes to you and says, you know, I just have, like, I have awful pain, like, when I have sex. And you can say, oh, well, I experienced this kind of discomfort, but lubricant helped. Is that what you're experiencing? Or is it something else? And I think normalizing talking like that is really important because a lot of people suffer in silence for gynecological things Mm -hmm. and they don't talk to their doctors because they think that this is normal or that they're complaining. And especially things like endometriosis, like endometriosis, which is such a painful condition of the uterus, like it, it... it's much more treatable if you deal with it early. Mm-hmm. And if it, you let it go too long, it can actually cause fertility issues. It can cause, like you might need a hysterectomy. Like it, it, it is very serious, but it's better if you deal with it early. But a lot of people don't deal with it early because they try to suck it up. Yeah. Because that's what we're supposed to do. Well, and I'll, and I'll just say, and again, just because at this point, I am just the resident TMI person because I'm the one who's going through <laughs> childbirth and stuff. But like with my issues, I mine, was, mine were related to a giant ovarian cyst that no one ever found out mm-hmm. about like giant like Mm -hmm. real big like they were gonna have to look at it after the baby was born if it didn't go away kind of thing Mm -hmm. Uh, baby squeezed it and it got and it it disappeared but the minute I started having periods after my son when my when the cyst was gone Mm -hmm. because my son burst it while Mm -hmm. I was pregnant Mm -hmm. I experienced what most people experience cramps as Mm -hmm. it's doable with Advil. <laughs> yeah. Like you take an Advil and you're like, nah, I feel gross and crampy, but like you can walk, yeah. you know? And then like the difference there and, and realizing, oh, so this is what people thought that I meant mm-hmm. when I went to the OBGYN and said I had cramps. Cause yeah. I, I, I think I still had what most people consider a seven. Yeah. But like, <laughs> yeah, comparatively. Yeah. And I think that lots of people don't have that experience of actually seeing what both are like. Yeah. And so I think we just need to show each other more grace. And if we can normalize that kind of conversation when someone comes to you, because remember, if someone comes to you and says, I'm experiencing pain during sex, my cramps are really bad. Mm -hmm. You know what? Uh, I gave birth three months ago and sex still hurts. And I think I have, you know, I still have pain and they don't want to go to their doctor. They're embarrassed. It probably took them a lot of courage to share this with you. Yes. And often our response is to try to reassure people, oh, don't worry, you'll be fine. That's not really a helpful mm-hmm. response. If someone took the courage to share something with you, it's probably pretty bad. Yeah. And so I think a really great way to handle it is, 
well, I experienced pain too. This is what it was like. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Or is it something else? Exactly. Um, and even if you don't know what to do, even if you don't know what endometriosis is, exactly. even if you don't know what... You don't the, need to diagnose them. You don't need to diagnose but you. But it's okay to say, that does sound really bad. Yeah, validate <laughs> that what they're going through is not normal. Yeah. Or, and, you know, if it is something normal, you can also give them the tips that did work for you. It's like, yeah, that's exactly what's happening to me. Yeah. Oh, well, here's what I did. Yeah. Try and, that. And, and, you know, a lot of us have tried alternative therapies and they worked great. And it's it's wonderful to <laughs> give those those tips. But let's remember that some people may need more. Yep. Just like Becca needed a C-section and that doesn't mean... And I needed a sister moved. I needed a sister moved when yeah. it came to my pain. It's yeah. like... You know, so, I needed a lot of medical stuff. Yeah. So let's just let's just remember to have grace for people. Um, yeah. Remember that Jesus took our bodies seriously. Yes. <laughs> and uh, we don't need to blow things off. It's okay if we take our bodies seriously too. I want to thank our sponsors too for this podcast, Femile, which is a wonderful women's wellness company. They sell menstrual cups, cloth pads, but also wellness teas and my favorite favorite vaginal melts. And I've been talking about these on the blog this week. Um, they are organic vaginal melts. They're vaginal suppositories that help increase lubrication, that help with elasticity, that help with some of the problems that you can get in the vagina as your hormone levels change. So please check them out at femily.com. I will also put a link to the post talking about the changes your vagina goes through during menopause and breastfeeding and some of these other hormonal things and show you why Femily's vaginal melts can really help. All right. I got a reader question for you. All right. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. I'm in and I, I changed some of the details. So the mm-hmm. numbers are more vague and things. I am in my mid forties. I'm married uh, about over a decade. I grew up in a Christian home, but sex was never discussed. Growing up, I was told that sex came after marriage. In college, boys introduced me to sex with plenty of alcohol. As I matured, I recommitted to abstinence until the relationship really felt committed. In the early years of my relationship with my husband, sex was fun and enjoyable, but not mind-blowing like others describe. We have several children who are beyond the toddler years. We were farmers 24-7 until recently. My husband has always said that the kids were my responsibility and the farm was his, but I was expected to work as hard as him on the farm, plus all the childcare and housework. He never changed a single diaper or got up in the middle of the night with a child. Obviously, sex was not frequent, but it was pretty regular. I considered it part of my marriage, and he got what he wanted with coercion and guilt. I rarely enjoyed it at all and was going through the motions. Sex is sometimes painful for me, and I would close my eyes and bear it. Currently, he works 12-hour days, seven days a week. I work full-time and handle kids' activities and two to three hours of barn chores. Sometimes in the last two years, I started telling him no more often than yes. I'm trying to figure out why sex is so bad for me. Yeah. It feels like my head and my heart separate from the rest of my body. He enjoys the things my body will do, and I can't control it or stop it. Uh When my body responds to his touch, he feels like I enjoy it. I just wish my body would stop responding. I don't enjoy it. I tolerate it when he really makes me feel guilty for saying no. This is a long, hard story to tell to other women ever describe the separation between how they think and feel and how their body naturally responds to touch and sex. Yes. And I thought this is perfect as we head into what I, the rest of what I want to cover on this podcast is I want to talk about the concept of arousal non-concordance mm-hmm. and how our bodies and our minds don't always match up yeah. when it comes to sex and how this can be really confusing and frustrating. Yeah. Cause this is, this is a perfect example of arousal non-concordance when she says mm-hmm. that it feels like her head and her body are separated where she 
does not enjoy what's going on and her body is physically responding and she just wishes it would stop responding. Yeah. So we'll get to that in a minute. I want to get on the research on arousal, not concordance yeah. and explain what it is. But I want to talk about the dynamics of what's going on in this relationship. First, first. of all, it's like she doesn't understand why she doesn't enjoy sex. And it's like, well, it's because of everything that you've written yeah, here. So you have no time together. Well, not only that, you are married to the kind of man... Mm-hmm. who does not change a diaper yeah. for several children and still expects you to do work on the farm. And, yeah. like, that's not a good partner. Uh, yeah. That's not a partner. You don't have a partner. You don't have a partner. And it's one thing where it's like, well, you don't know everything. No, no. If a dad doesn't change any diapers of several children, you do not have a partner. Mm-hmm. That is that mm-hmm. is pretty point blank. Yeah. Especially if she is also working on the farm. Yeah. Like if she was not working on the farm at all and he didn't change any diapers, but he was busting his butt mm-hmm. on like getting their their income through the farm, like and he was working from five in the morning until like nine at night, as a lot of farmers do, mm-hmm. you know, that would be one thing. But yep. when it's like, nah, they're sharing that workload and he's not sharing hers. Yeah. No. And I and, and again, the issue with, with children is that children are not a task. Children are a relationship. Yes, children come with tasks. Yeah, but childcare in and of itself is not a is task. not a task, and you can't outsource it. No, nope. um, because children need a relationship mm-hmm. with you. Yep, and it's it's wrong for only one parent to be responsible for the children. Totally, that is that is emotionally unhealthy for yep. everybody involved. Yep, um, and eventually, when the kids grow up, they simply will not have a relationship with their dad. Well, and that's actually what research has found. You know, a lot of times when the mother dies, the father's social um life just completely disappears because all the kids were related were connected with mom not with dad not with dad because he spent mm-hmm. no time with them when they were kids yeah and so this is this is a very unhealthy relationship yes. dynamic first of all the fact that he's guilting and manipulating her into sex yeah. um is not healthy no that's coercive i i actually had um, an instagram message where a couple had read The Great Sex Rescue, she really liked it, he didn't, because she said that he was manipulating her into sex because if she did not give him sex every two days, he would mope, he would yell at the kids, he would be really difficult to be with, Um, Mm -hmm. he would snap at her, and so she had to have sex with him every two days to keep him treating them and properly. the children treating the yes. children and he said too. well you can't expect me to act normally this is just a consequence of your behavior you can't yeah. expect me to act normally no. if if i'm being cut off and that's actually coercive one of the definitions of coercion is that you need to do something in order to prevent something bad from happening to you mm-hmm. and so and like domestic abuse resources work with that kind of thing yeah but that actually is a form of domestic abuse yes especially Um, when you're threatening someone's children yes so you know if he's short with the kids if he if he yells at the kids all that stuff if he doesn't get sex every two days that's not okay yeah because often it also makes the woman feel even more in essence just trapped yeah because your kids are totally defenseless yeah it's just horrible and she was gonna see a a church counselor about this and i advised that that wasn't a good idea yeah because chances are the church counselor might uh, agree with love and respect or something um and so please see a licensed counselor i'm not saying all church counselors are bad um they're really not the problem is i've heard too many horror stories that Mm -hmm. i just can't recommend it anymore exactly if you have a way of telling whether your church counselor is good or not then that's great but i just i just as a blanket thing Mm -hmm. don't recommend them anymore um but that is a form of manipulation and so here he is he's manipulating her Mm -hmm. he's making her feel guilty if she doesn't have sex she feels completely disconnected to him because they don't spend any time together he hasn't shown any care for her emotionally whatsoever he's disconnected from the kids 
And yet he wants sex. Yep. And then she's feeling like sex is empty. And even though her body is responding, she feels used. Yep. I mean, she feels betrayed by her body, it sounds like. Right. And she feels betrayed by her body. Mm-hmm. And and this is what arousal non-concordance is. And I, I just want to say to her, you know, it is okay. <laughs> like, or everybody needs to hear this. If you, if your relationship is absolutely a mess, mm-hmm. <laughs> it is okay to say, hey, <laughs> Like I am feeling used here. We're get we're going into a really bad path, mm-hmm. and if things keep going in this direction, we're gonna just we're, things are gonna self destruct, and so we need to get on a better path now. And we need and we need to deal with this. Yes. And if something is not sustainable in the long run, then stop it as soon as possible. Yes. Like if he's working twelve hour days, seven days a week. That is not sustainable in the long run. If this is a temporary thing, we're like, we're doing this for six more months until we sell. Yeah. Or that's like, fine. you know, if, you, if your husband's an accountant and every year, you know that like March yeah. and April are a total write-off. You know, or if he's about to study for the bar exam. Yeah. Or she's about to study for the bar exam. Exactly. Or if, you know, whatever it might be. And so like for the next few months, life is going to be awful. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, maybe she has a new job where for the first two years it's terrible. But then it's going to be real cushy for afterwards. Yeah. Like, like that. That's one thing. Yeah. But if this is just constant and there is no end in sight, it is better to deal with it now and say, I am not prepared to live like this for the rest of my life. Exactly. Rather um, than five years in the future when you're even more burnt out. Yeah. Because it isn't going to get better. It no. is not going to get better. If it's not sustainable now, it's not going to be sustainable in five years either. Nope. And so deal with it before before you get burned out. Yeah. And I think what I want to say too is this woman seems to think that she's the problem, that mm-hmm. her head can't get in the game. Like, I want to know why I don't enjoy sex. What's wrong? Why can't I figure this out? Like, mm-hmm. and... You know, as women, we know that our sex drive is mainly in our head, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's lots of research that shows that for women, much more than for men, you know, our sex drive is very cognitive. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason for that. Like, <laughs> you know, we are, in essence, more vulnerable to having sex with bad people because we get pregnant. Right. And, we have to, and you know, God do so that. We ha- and what you mean by that is we have more, we have more repercussions That's from what having I mean. yes. sex with, That's what with I mean. a bad person. Yeah, because yeah. we have all the same repercussions as the guy in terms of, like, you know, diseases or anything like that. But the additional one mm-hmm. is that our bodies have to then carry a child and birth a child. And then we have a child there and you yeah. know, feed the child. There's just a lot. Right. Right. And so it makes sense that we were designed Mm -hmm. to get turned off by guys who don't change diapers. Yes. (laughs) Like it makes sense that when life is really stressful, Mm -hmm. our body, like our minds are like, sex is not what I want right now. Yeah. Because if life is really stressful, your body doesn't want to get pregnant. Yeah. And so maybe we should actually start listening to what our minds are telling us Mm -hmm. because the answer isn't then say, oh, well then you're just never going to have sex again. The answer is to say the same way that like, you know, when we deal with something like a mental health issue or something like that we ask hey wait why am I experiencing this anxiety and is there something that we can do to help mm-hmm. right like whether it's learning different coping skills whether it's changing your environment whether it's getting on medication whatever it is mm-hmm. when we're experiencing a super low libido um drop you know mm-hmm. like or a sudden drop in libido or just a low libido maybe we ask is there a reason why my brain doesn't want to do this? And I, we actually work through this in the Boucher Libido course. We go through this mm-hmm. quite a bit and we're revamping it right now. And mm-hmm. I think it's going to be out in January. Probably. Probably January, yep. but I'm mm-hmm. working on it right now. We're adding in a bunch of new research and everything. But, mm-hmm. but that's the question we have to ask is seeing our libido as the canary in the coal mine mm-hmm. versus the problem. Yes. Right? Because you were not designed to want to have sex with someone who would not help you raise a child. Mm-hmm. Like, 
That's yep. just that's just it. Yeah. And this probably has a lot of marriage issues that need to be dealt with. The sex is not the main issue here. No. <laughs> the main issue here is marriage issues. And I will say it again. We have said it so many times, but I will say it again. One of the big things that I have, t- have taught differently since we did the research for the Great Sex Rescue is that sexlessness is not primarily caused by women giving up on sex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what we found is that in the majority of sexless marriages, at least two of these five things are present. She rarely orgasms. They don't feel emotionally connected during sex. They have low marital satisfaction. There's porn use involved or there's some sort of sexual dysfunction. And so I'm going to be honest. At least two. <laughs> and when we're looking at this, this, this woman's story, I'm going to be honest, we see two of them already. Low yeah. marital satisfaction. And they're and not feeling emotionally connected during yeah. sex. And there, there's times where she says she feels pain, which is sexual yep. dysfunction yep. as well. So three. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> it's okay. just, and it's, it's, it's something where when we look at scripture over and over again, we get the message, do not be mocked. Uh, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Mm-hmm. Right? And that has to do with every aspect of our lives. Yeah. Like we, you cannot mistreat someone, emotionally abandon them, take advantage of them, manipulate them, coerce them, mm-hmm. you know, in essence, uh, uh, emotionally abuse them for years and not expect to have repercussions yep. for that. That is just not how God designed the world. And yep. it's time that we start standing up and breaking cycles mm-hmm. so that we can bring positive consequences in because you know if you are loving if you are emotionally available if you are a partner that is you know mm-hmm. there to support each other if you work every day to help make each other's lives better and you are selfless and humble in how you approach each other you're also going to reap the benefits of that yeah you reap what you sow good or bad yep well becca is gone and my better half is here. Hey, everyone. And I thought I would bring you on to talk about the science stuff. Okay. I mean, Rebecca's talked about science stuff before, but you know, you're really the science guy. <laughs> so I have spent um, a couple of days this week looking over a lot of the research for arousal non-concordance. Mm. Okay. And I'm going to explain what it is, and then I'll okay. tell you some of the stuff I found. Okay. Sounds good. So basically... As Becca and I were explaining, there's two different aspects to arousal. There's the brain saying, I want the sexy stuff. <laughs> and then there's the body where women get lubricated, men get an erection, and there's right. other stuff going on. But, you know, you get more blood flow to the area. It heats up. Lots of nice stuff happens. Okay. Sure. <laughs> and those those are two different things. And that's what um, studies have repeatedly shown is that sometimes your brain can be saying, I want the sexy stuff. And your body's not doing anything mm. or your body can be getting all ramped up, but your brain's like, yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, we've, t- we've talked about like involuntary erections before mm-hmm. for guys. Like it's mm-hmm. not always something that's going on in your brain, right? If, if you're being stimulated in that area. Right. Kind of stuff, right? Like with a massage or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Then things can start to work even if you're not thinking about sexy yeah. stuff. And so um, I just want to share some of the research in this because it's actually quite interesting and okay. can get into some of the issues that I think people have. I wrote a blog post about this yesterday. So if so, we go into a lot more detail on the blog. So if you haven't seen it, I will put a link to it. It's really, it's really important. But it reminds me of when I used to play Balderdash. Okay. okay, so you know when we were starting, when we were just starting to go out and Balderdash was like the game in university. <laughs> and for those of you who may remember, you'd be, promo- you'd be presented with a word that sounds like nonsense that no one's ever heard of. And right. everybody has to make up a definition. 
And then, and then the real definition's in the mix as well. Mm-hmm. And right. you have to guess which one was the correct definition. And I had a definition I used in almost every game, as long as I was playing with different people, and I always won that round. Okay. And it was the lint that you collect out of the dryer trap. Right. And I always won. And the reason I always won on that round is because people are like, yeah, there should there be should. a word for that. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, that's is, an actual thing. This has got to be the word. Yeah, that's an actual thing. And so there's probably a word for that. Um, and so I would just use that in every game that I played. Oh, and that's, ar- that's arousal and concordance is one of those things that when you explain it, people are like, yeah, that totally makes mm-hmm. sense, even if you never thought of it before. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and, and so a lot of people can experience this where you really want sex, but your body isn't doing anything. Yeah. Or your body's doing something and you're just like, no, that doesn't really turn me on at all. Like the classic example, a sad example, is when 12-year-old sees porn for the first time, mm. right? And they get soup, they get an erection or they get lubricated. Like, you know, they, they feel all the sexy feelings, but they're absolutely horrified. Mm. In fact, in many cases, it's actually a trauma. They experience right. trauma, but their body has responded. And so they think, mm-hmm. well, therefore, I must like this. Right. When really it's just that their body is responding. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, so, there's stories of women who've been assaulted. Yes. Having physiologic changes in their body and therefore thinking that at some level they must have wanted it. Yeah, and men too. And Boys too. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, so, and that's what you're talking about. That's, yeah. that's, that doesn't mean you wanted it. It just meant your body was responding mm-hmm. to stimulation rather than that means that you actually mentally wanted this or you gave your consent or anything right exactly so just because you became aroused even just because you orgasm doesn't mean you consented Mm -hmm. right orgasm does not equal consent and so you might have said no you might have not wanted it at all and made that very clear but then someone might have done Mm. something to you and your body reacted and then you feel guilty about it Mm. because you think well i guess i consented after all i think it's a good topic you're talking about because i don't think everyone knows about that Mm mm-hmm I think I first learned about it watching Special Victims Unit, Law and Orders. <laughs> they deal with this stuff so well. <laughs> I remember the first time. Mariska Hargitay, yay! Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. The first time I ever heard of it was, was in uh, Nagoski's book. Come, mm-hmm. Come, Come as, as you, you are. are. Yes. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's where I first heard of this. Mm-hmm. So. so let me share with you some of the results okay. from these from these surveys and or from from these studies. So I looked at three different long articles, and all of them are linked in, in yesterday's post. Um, the first one was a big meta-analysis from 2010, and the other articles all referred to that meta-analysis. The other articles are more recent, but, they were, but the meta-analysis was like this huge, huge thing that was done in 2010. And what they found was that in multiple studies, women reported way more sexual arousal non-concordance than men did. So both genders okay. experienced arousal non-concordance, but women experienced it way more. Okay. And so they were they were theorizing this could have been due to all kinds of different things, okay. you know, and one of them might be maybe we're just measuring women's arousal wrong with all those probes and disgusting thermal <laughs> cameras. Right. Um, you know, you know, or maybe women are just more embarrassed of admitting that they're aroused or whatever. And so they tried to control for all these different variables and they found that no matter how much they controlled for things, women still had more arousal non-concordance. Okay. And so it just seems like this is more common among women. And that was in the study in 2010. In 2010. Okay. And then some and others... And so the other ones follows up... Sorry, were, yeah. were the other ones follow-up studies then to ask mm-hmm. you know, why that was? And to verify that this was true, okay. et cetera, et cetera. Um, so let me tell you about bonobo apes. 
Okay. Have you heard of the Bonobo Ape yes, study? I know, but well, I haven't yeah. heard of this study, but I know about bonobos. Okay. So, um, researchers. They're, they're a matriarchal society. Yeah, yeah, I think they are, yes. Yeah. And it, bonobo apes, when shown videos of bonobo apes mating, okay. okay, both genders say, doesn't do a thing for me. Yeah. Do not feel sexy at all. It's probably the nose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Men. <laughs> physiologically it's, it's, more, it's more than that but bonobos have a funny looking nose that's what yes, I'm joking about yes. yeah, so. men physiologically agree okay so their physiology agrees with their mental perception that this okay. doesn't do anything for me women on the other hand their physiology actually does react to Response. seeing the bonobo apes mating and in a whole variety of stimulation stimulus you know men are much more um, discerning as to what they say or much more exact as to what they say turns them on you know, like women, the men say this turns me on. Women are less likely to say that explicit thing turns me on. So we all have different things that we say turn us on. Okay. But women experience genital arousal across far a far more far wider spectrum of stimulus than men do. So this is like increased blood flow and mm-hmm. that sort of phys- physical mm-hmm. changes. Although they mentally are not mentally not into it at all. Like they could be totally like ew, gross. Okay, and and so I want I want to read you the conclusion. So one says, women react to sexual stimuli with lubrication to protect their inner sexual organs, independent of their experienced arousal. Due to the specific anatomy and social influences, men learn to better align their experienced sexual arousal with their physiological reaction. Women, on the other hand, learn early on not to trust their bodily reactions, as they are often in contrast to social expectations. So basically what it was saying is two things. First of all, women tend to become aroused like lubricant physiologically whenever there's sexual stimulus because women are more vulnerable to sexual assault. And so it protects your inner sexual organs for you to be lubricated. So like if there's sexual stimulus, women are more likely to become aroused. Okay. Okay. Men don't have that to the same extent. Um, But also because of different sexual expectations and social expectations, Women are less likely to agree <laughs> that they are aroused than men yeah, because okay. they're taught that certain things aren't supposed to be arousing. Okay. You know, so women just have this higher degree of non-concordance. Hmm. And then when they've looked at this in more detail, like why isn't there a female Viagra, for instance, right? Because right, okay. there's a male Viagra, you know, you could take a pill and everything works great. So you got all of these women who aren't able to reach orgasm, who have a really hard time boosting their libido, et cetera. And so why isn't there a pill? And when this other study that was just out in August, I think, when it looked at all of these things, what they concluded is that the reason there's not a pill is because it's not a physiological thing. Mm. And actually, should we even consider women's physiological reaction, involuntary physiological physiological reaction even part of sexual arousal because in so many cases it's so unrelated to what they say they're feeling Mm -hmm. you know interesting yeah well i mean it's this is kind of the mentality we've known for a while that sex for women is much more multifaceted than it is for men Mm -hmm. if things are going on in your head or you're worried about things you know guys will often turn to sex as a stress reliever like Mm -hmm. i'm stressed so therefore i'm gonna have sex whereas women very much because they're stressed they can't they, they're not interested in sex. It's, so men and women are different in that way, I think. So. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that women don't... Uh, there aren't certain things that turn women on. Mm-hmm. And we should be paying Absolutely. attention when women say, say, hey, that really turns me on. Like, you should pay mm-hmm. attention, you know, and yeah. go with that. <laughs> yeah. um, but I know the big problem 
that women have is that they want to be turned on and they find it difficult to be turned on. So this month, we're also going to talk about a potential solution and I want, and we'll keep coming back to this on the blog. In fact, we talked about this a lot in um, the Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, the revamped one that's coming out in, in March. And I talk about this all the time on every girl talk, my sex talk that I give in churches. This is the one big thing I talk about. Okay. Um, but it's the concept of mindfulness mm-hmm. and paying attention to your body. Because, you know, if we can pay attention to our physiological responses, when we are in the mood for like when we want to be in the mood for sex, we can usually get both of these things going at the same time, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but we have to learn how to pay attention. And so there was another great study out, a really new one on mindfulness and sex. Okay. And mindfulness is sort of a funny thing because it isn't only paying attention to your body. Like we think of mindfulness as like, like trying to get rid of all the distractions and just concentrate on what's going on. That is very important. But it's concentrating in a specific way. Mm-hmm. So when you concentrate, it's concentrating in a way that you're not being judgmental of yourself. Yeah. I mean, what I've always thought mindfulness was is it's being aware. Mm-hmm. And if you're aware, you can't be judging and sorting and categorizing. Like the point is just to experience. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you, you recognize what's going on and you're open to what is happening. You're not prohibiting anything from being inside your space. You're just finding what's out there. You're, yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of what I've always thought mindfulness was. Yeah, exactly. So you're, you're just letting yourself experience. But the problem is as soon as we let judgment things come in, we're no longer just being mindful. And this is what we often mm-hmm. get into with sex, right? Is oh, I really should be more turned on than I am now. You know, why haven't I reached yeah. orgasm yet? I'm taking too long. You, you becoming, women are very analytical. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas guys are just enjoying the moment. Right. And as soon as you become analytical. Typically. typically. Yeah. As soon as you become analytical, everything stops working. Mm-hmm. And so what they found is that when people are able to practice mindfulness during sex, orgasm is way more likely mm. for the person who is, you know, for the person who wants to orgasm, but also for your partner. For your spouse, oh, okay. you know, and um, now men don't tend to have a really hard time orgasming. <laughs> like well, yeah, in you, our, you've talked about the orgasm guy. Yeah, before, like right? so. men, unless erectile dysfunction is involved, like ninety-five percent of men orgasm in a sexual encounter, so that doesn't tend to be a problem. For women, the equivalent number is only forty-eight. Mm-hmm. But when men practice mindfulness and just pay attention to what's going on and pay attention to what their wife is feeling, then there's way more likely that she's gonna. Mm-hmm. orgasm too and that doesn't mean judging things that's that's not saying why is she taking so long <laughs> but like paying attention right. to her breathing paying attention to her body just paying attention to her yeah instead of saying you know instead of having an issue of mm-hmm. what's happening why mm-hmm. it's what's happening and then kind of learning to go with it and sort of experiencing that together yeah does that make sense yeah so here i'll just read you the conclusions of this article and i will link to this study as well this is a little bit long but this this is good this is good stuff so i want to read these conclusions all right both partners completed a measure of sexual mindfulness to assess awareness during sexual experiences e.g i pay attention to my emotions during sex and non-judgment during sexual experiences e.g during sex i sometimes get distracted by evaluating myself or my partner so evaluating Very bad. Don't Mm -hmm. do that. Don't value it. Okay. When the researchers analyzed the results, they found convincing evidence that mindfulness was related to improvements in sexual well-being among both wives and husbands. And what was interesting about this is I have have such a hard time finding studies like this. It was only of husbands and wives. 
So many, right. so many studies are like of couples in general, but they wanted to, they, they wanted to control for like, um, commitment and relationship right. instability. So I, I, anyway, I just thought that was neat. So it was just husbands and wives among both husbands and wives, greater awareness and non-judgment during sexual activity was associated with greater relationship, flourishing, sexual harmony, and orgasm consistency. The authors theorize that mindfulness supports relationship flourishing since the mindset encourages a more regulated response to events that may happen during sex compared to a reactive one. So instead of like, reacting and getting upset and analytical you're just simply experiencing it and letting yeah. things happen as they happen yeah. and responding but <laughs> yeah. then also being like sort of yeah that's mm-hmm. what mindfulness is right? so. so increased awareness and open discussions about sex can promote meaning and connection within a relationship and mindfulness promotes greater sexual harmony by encouraging people away from goal-driven sex towards sex that is intentional and in the moment and that's what's so hard because like I want people to aim for orgasm and we talk about this in the orgasm course too, but it is so much better to actually just be in the moment and let yourself experience because that's when orgasm happens. Yeah, It's such a tricky thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's such a tricky thing. But I know for a lot of women who are just struggling saying, I can't, you know, I want to be aroused. I want to be turned on, but it's just not happening. Mm. Mindfulness is a solution. And so we talk about this a lot in the orgasm course. So there is a solution for people with arousal non-concordance in your marriage. So, so you know, are you saying, Sheila, I guess then that it's kind of like instead of if you're a, a woman who's struggling with not orgasming, mm-hmm. Instead of saying, am I there yet? Am I there yet? Am I there yet? Mm -hmm. That kind of mentality, just enjoying what is happening is going to help. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. And saying, okay, what wants to be touched right now? That's the big thing. Yeah. Oh, that's a good. So you're listening to your body. You're you're, saying like, and and that's, and not, not in a, in an analytical, like, like way, but like, okay, like what, what is actually like, Hmm. what is, where is it feeling good right now? And when you start asking that question, that's when you start noticing those physiological responses that you're having that you may not even have been aware Mm. of. And you're like, oh, something wants to be touched. And then you can (laughs) tell him and he can. Well, I think there's an opportunity for guys here too, because you know, the, the male physiologic part of sex is it's much more automatic, mm-hmm. right? So there's a real opportunity here for guys to practice mindfulness in the sense of just being aware of what's going on in your wife and mm-hmm. just listening to her body, you know, and how she reacts to you, her breathing, what she's saying, how she's moving, things like mm-hmm. that. And that could probably make the experience better for her if you're more mindful of what's going on. Oh, that seems to be really yeah. working well. Let's <laughs> keep doing that. Or, or this is, yeah. you know, and then kind of changing. Yeah. I don't know. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, I think so. And so, and so it's like just learning how to be in the moment slow down and just relate to your body and and which goes back to what rebecca and i were saying at the very beginning is that we're physical people we're made with the body Mm -hmm. and so often we we try to keep sex entirely in our heads and we separate from our bodies and that's when things don't work And so it's learning how to inhabit both places at the same time, which is really what Jesus did. As we talk about Christmas, you know, he was he was God who became body. <laughs> and the whole idea of embodiment and getting in touch with our bodies is what we're going to be looking at this, this month, because that is something that God wants for us, mm. is to experience life through our physical bodies, not just through our minds. <laughs> okay. I always share something okay. at the end of a podcast, and I have two big things to share. Um, instead of reading a new review, we got a note from our publisher this week saying mm-hmm. that we're in our fifth printing, and the book has been selling really consistently since it released. And what that means is like books often get a real jump 
right as they're released and then they just fall right off and Great Sex Rescue has been doing great ever Chugging since along. and it's just building and I think one of the reasons is things like this note that I got here. So a counselor sent me this Instagram message today. She said, I work at a nonprofit Christian counseling center and my boss just came into my office and said, that book in your desk is amazing. I then asked if I could eliminate all the horrible books from the office. She said yes. And she proceeded to order five more copies for the other counselors in the office. So that's, that's how it's going to grow. So, hey, great sex rescue. Great present for your pastor for mm -hmm. Christmas. Great present for your counselor or therapist. Great, great present for your sister. So get make get great sex rescue as a stocking stuffer. And thank you for joining us on the Bear Marriage Podcast. Join us on the blog this month for more talk about embodiment as we work towards the Christmas season. And remember to check out yesterday's post about arousal non-concordance because I think it's really important. And as always, I will see you again next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>